0: Hey everyone, and thank you for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Ben Zweig, CEO of Revelio Labs, a workforce intelligence platform that's raised 19 million in funding. Ben, thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, no problem. So before we begin talking about what you're building, can we just start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background?
1: Yeah, for sure. Let's see. So I did a PhD in economics, so kind of uh, come at this space with a little bit more of like the statistics background and a little bit of experience in labor economics. So I had done research, was in academia for a while, and then I worked as a data scientist at a hedge fund for a few years. So that was kind of interesting, you know, being in this like very sophisticated field where, you know, people allocate money like in pretty efficient ways and uh, kind of getting a sense for how all that worked. And then went to work at IBM, which was really my first foray into the corporate world, and eventually there started leading a group in workforce analytics. So, you know, I was a data scientist there, you know, working with a lot of data scientists in what is now called their chief analytics office. But that was really interesting, I think, because, you know, started seeing how workforce analytics happened at big companies and started seeing some of the challenges that that IBM had that really lots of companies had. So then started uh, getting the idea for Rebellio Labs. And uh, that was sort of, you know, the impetus for for some of those
0: ideas nice super interesting and we're going to dive deeper into the company in a second here but a few questions we like to ask just to better understand what makes you tick as a founder and entrepreneur first one is what ceo do you admire the most and what do you admire about them it's a good
1: question so i have never really like idolized ceos in the same way as other people i think when i think of my you know the people that i really looked up to is mostly economists and so you know looked up to them but if i think about ceos i think probably rich barton is a really interesting one. You know, he founded Expedia and Zillow and Glassdoor and all these data companies where he's, you know, exposing data to people that would use it really to anyone and, you know, revealing something about the world that people didn't know before. And I think that's something that, you know, we try to do at Revelio. We're trying to, you know, Revelio is reveal. You know, we're trying to reveal something mm-hmm. and, you know, put this data out there in a clear way, in an organized way, in a way that's easy to access so that people can understand labor markets and i really just admire the mission there and i think there's just a lot to do you know we're getting more and more data literate as a society and i think someone needs to organize this and facilitate access in a way And i think he's been a tremendous force for good in that way and i hope we can kind of continue on that path i feel like there haven't been any big books about him yet because i feel like
0: i would have uh, would have yeah. read that it seems like a lot of people don't talk about him much, but I'll have to uh, dig into him
1: a bit more. Yeah, yeah, he's underrated. I didn't realize that he also founded Glassdoor. That's super interesting. Yeah, well, he's co-founder of Glassdoor. I, th- I think all these companies have have co-founders except for yeah. I think he did by himself. Mm, interesting. All right, what about books? Is there a
0: specific book that's had a major impact on you as a founder? And this can be yeah uh, you know, one of the classic business books, or just a book that really influenced how you personally view the world and and think about the world.
1: So. I would say two, if I'm allowed to say two. So <laughs> the one that directly affected the, the vision for Revelio Labs, I think is Capital Ideas by Peter Bernstein. So that's basically the story. It's the history of how finance became sophisticated. You know, it goes through this time when it was all just like phone calls and, and like relationships to an environment where people were, um, you know, typing away at computers and using, you know, math and statistics and all that to make decisions around how to allocate capital. And it was so cool. I mean, you know, just the stories of the people who kind of pushed this idea forward and, you know, going through the resistance at the time. And I thought this is like really a tremendous like turning point in history when there's this whole sector of the economy that just is being born. And, you know, I thought, let's compare this to labor markets, which are bigger than capital markets, but way, way less sophisticated. And I thought, you know, someday, someone's going to tell the history of how labor markets became sophisticated. And I really, you know, want to be, you know, I want to be like a part of that history. I want to be like mentioned in that future book. So I think the idea for Reveal Labs was really to kind of do for labor markets, you know, what visionaries and, you know, like Myron Scholes or Harry Markowitz or whatever did for finance and also what companies like Bloomberg and others have done for finance. And create this like ubiquitous source of shared information. And it just, you know, that was the idea. And I thought that was just like very inspiring. So I'd say that book, that was like inspiring from a business perspective. Personally, I really like Exit Voice and Loyalty by Albert Hirschman. It's just like, you know, a model of how people behave in scenarios that are just like not good. So it kind of makes me think about like attrition at companies, you know, like when something is, you know, when you're in a bad environment. Do you leave or do you exercise some voice or try to change things? And I just think about that a lot. Like every time I watch a movie, there's always some like dynamic between like whether someone's going to move or fight for something. And it's always a struggle, like in lots of different situations. So I always come back to that and think about that a lot with like various business problems or just as we think about like, you know, the employee employer dynamic. So I just kind of love that one as well. Nice. Two books I haven't read yet, but I'll uh, add them to my Amazon
0: list. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. Nice. Well, let's, uh, let's dive deeper now into the company. So I, I think you've touched on the origin story quite a bit there. So let's maybe talk about the product specifically. So what does that product look like and what are people paying you to do and, and solve for them?
1: Yeah. So ultimately, we're really trying to create something like you know a Bloomberg terminal, but instead of for financial data, it's labor market data. And you know, so that's one way to think about. Another way to think about it is kind of a universal HR database. So every company's got their own HR data, and that's a locked box. You know, they don't share that with anyone. And we are trying to collect the universe of public employment records and try to reconstruct or approximate the HR database for every company. So let me give you an example. So let's say you work at Microsoft. You know, you're there. You're in their HR database. You're a line item. In that database, it says your name, your your job title, when you started, et cetera, things like that, and that's information that the Microsoft HR team owns, and they don't really share outside of the company. But a lot of that information is actually mirrored in your resume or your LinkedIn profile or something like that. So there's a lot of public profile information that can be collected and sort of aggregated. There's also job postings. You know, companies post jobs. That's of course public. That's advertised. And they want to see, like, you know, they're, they're listing out, like, what they're hiring for, what the requirements are, what skills they want. So that's really rich information as well. There's uh, sentiment ratings, you know, from sites like Glassdoor and Fishbowl and things like that. There's layoff notices, there's immigration filings, there's freelance platform data. There's so much data out there that's just, like, in the public domain. And we really want to just collect it and standardize it, enrich it, curate it, and ultimately have this centralized hr database where you can make comparisons across companies so once we have that then we could deliver it to companies as a data feed you know through s3 or snowflake or something like that we could deliver it through api integrations every once in a while we make custom reports but the way we really like to deliver it and the most popular way is through a dashboard so you know most companies don't have teams of data scientists or data analysts to analyze terabytes of data So, you know, they want to experience and dig into this data through a front-end platform that's just, like, easy to use. So that's ultimately what we deliver, and there's a lot of processes that we go through to make sure this is, you know, clean, unbiased, standardized. So we have, like, a very big data science team that, you know, analyzes the natural language and tries to create taxonomies and disambiguate entities and, you know, adjust for sampling bias and lags in reporting. And all sorts of problems that come up and there's tons and tons of problems i mean the raw data is just like messy as you can imagine but once you get past that and once you fix these problems it's just like so rich and so full of potential so you know someone's got to do it so that's what we're we're trying to take on and who are the customers who are getting the value there is it head funds and investors yeah so those were really our earliest adopters so when we first created this we thought. You know the original idea was this is bringing benchmarking to people analytics you know this is bringing a view into the external market to hr which is typically you know very very company centric so that was the original idea we were going to sort of advance the way that hr does business and we kind of got sidetracked a little bit because we found this huge opportunity in selling to hedge funds and private equity firms and sell-side research groups and vcs And really, I mean, they are in the business of understanding companies without having an affiliation to those companies. So once we're able to get like a really deep view in the inner workings of companies without any affiliation to them, I mean, that was just like a really, really easy market for us to kind of get into. And
0: where do you think it goes from here then? If those are the early customers who are going to be the customers, you know, two, three, four years from now, do you think?
1: So I'd say you know we started investment management. Then our our next big splash was in consulting. So we work with all the major consulting firms because they're also in the business of of understanding companies you know more deeply and without necessarily like needing to get into their systems. So that was that was great for us. We sell a lot to academic researchers and we sell a lot to HR and recruiting. So you know the different groups there, the fragmented market. So we'll sell to you know the big staffing firms will sell to talent acquisition groups. And there's now like a subgroup within that called Talent Intelligence, which is just great market for us. I mean, they are really in the business of understanding the external labor market. So that's great. Compensation as well. I mean, they, they do a lot of benchmarking. People Analytics is another one. They're really just starting to do benchmarking, which is exciting. And you know, there's other groups, there's strategy, there's procurement, there's market intelligence. So we're kind of casting a wide net into like the types of users and types of use cases. Because really, at the end of the day, I mean, there's tons of different players in a company that want to understand people and what's happening with teams and with talent.
0: And a couple of months ago, I was watching the WeWork or probably one of the WeWork documentaries, and they had a company on there that was an alternative data company that I probably won't mention their name. I think they had some trouble later on. But they had said oh, they were yeah. able to predict that what WeWork was going to have issues because of their, I think it was their Glassdoor data or some type of HR data. So is it similar to that in a way? I'm guessing it's much better than that, but is it similar to like that types of decisions and things that you can spot?
1: Yeah, exactly. So we know the team of Think Down pretty well. We're both in the alternative data space, which is really, you know, providing insights about companies beyond what you find in financial statements. So yeah, I mean, their story is they found some insights about WeWork and and published a report, and then they got kicked out of WeWork, which was you know, a bit of an aggressive move. So, and you know, we do similar analyses. You know, we collect a lot of similar data. You know, like sentiment ratings, job postings, workforce dynamics, all that. And yeah, we'll report on the trends in companies. And sometimes that's like very like easy to establish, but sometimes we get pushback. Also, I mean, um, I'll give you an example. A few months ago, we had a newsletter. We have a weekly newsletter which is great, you know, we have a team of economists and they write, you know, insights that they can see from the data. And we had a newsletter that we did in collaboration with Bloomberg that basically showed that Meta basically stopped hiring people in VR, AR, and, and all the like metaverse skills. They had been hiring a lot, but they basically shut that down. And other companies like Accenture were hiring much faster. And the team at Meta, the communications team reached out to us and they said, hey, you know, like we want to dispute this and this isn't like, you know, we're seeing slightly different numbers. And so we kind of went back and did like a more thorough analysis and we tried to like slice and dice it in tons of different ways. And at the end of the day, we had the same pattern and we basically said, you know, thanks for alerting us, but we're not going to retract this. This is, we stand by it. And then a couple of weeks later, then they had their big announcement about how they're they're kind of stopping hiring. So we were able to, you know, we got vindicated eventually, but uh, it, was, it was stressful.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Do you ever push that data out to the media and, and use that to create stories? Or is that more reserved for the newsletter and the the paying customers?
1: We do a lot. So we're in the media almost almost every day now. We'll work a lot with, you know, we have, we have a bunch of reporters who we have good relationships with at Bloomberg and Business Insider and Wall Street Journal and New York Times and like a bunch of those just because, you know, they're in the business of looking for data to support their story. Mm-hmm. So they're always looking for supporting evidence. And we and we provide that for free, really, because it helps us with uh, getting our name out also. So we love those relationships. And, and I think they you know, are starting to rely on us also. So yeah, that's been awesome for us. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, CB Insights
0: a little bit, just in terms of their approach. I don't know if you've studied them very much, but a, a few years ago, I listened to a podcast with their founder. And he said that was their content marketing strategy was just basically giving their data to journalists and then journalists you know, would use that in their stories and that's where they got all their backlinks and that's where they built up all the trust and credibility and that was essentially their marketing strategy and it worked out great for them.
1: Yeah, they've been amazing. I mean, they've also, you know, been um, helpful in giving us advice every once in a while. So we know them pretty well. And um, yeah, I think they're really, I think of CB Insights as the gold standard on newsletters. I mean, they have such a good newsletter. They They really have like an excellent voice. And I look up to their their founder, Anand. Um also, you know, he's another founder that I, I I'd put up there as someone who who I think has made a lot of right calls and is is doing doing smart things. Do you end your uh, newsletters with PS I love you like him as well? <laughs> no, no, we, we can't pull it off. We're a little nerdier than that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> nice. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. Now, let's talk about the the companies that you're working with, and and we don't have to dive into them too much, but... It's some, uh, some big name companies there you have on your homepage, and, and you mentioned some other you know, big consulting companies as well. What would you say you got right? Because I'm sure it's hard to break through the noise. I'm sure there are some competitors in this space. So what did you get right, and how did you break through the noise?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a good question and a tough question. I'd say it's, as an entrepreneur, like, it's so hard to disambiguate when things are going well because you sort of deserve it or when you're kind of getting lucky. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a little bit of both. But if I just think about what we've done right, I think first of all, it actually isn't really that much of a crowded space. I think they're really, I mean, you know, I don't wanna say we have no competitors because of course we have, you know, competitors that, you know, share similar budgets, but I think think our approach is quite unique. So I think the idea of creating this universal HR database is not something that others have taken on. And, you know, I don't really know why they haven't. Like, I think, you know, LinkedIn could do this, you know, Lots of companies, you know, Workday could do it, like lots of companies could do it, but for whatever reason they haven't. And I think we've been kind of lucky that it's been not such a tight competitive market. So I think that was, we were fortunate in having like made a bet on something that turned out to be a good bet. Mm -hmm. I also think it was just a lot of hard work. I think we were lucky enough to hire a really excellent team. I think especially in data science and data engineering, I think we really have like a world-class team in those categories. Now, you know, our dashboard is also like really, I think, excellent, like a best-in-class experience. And I, and I, think, I think we've just had such a strong team and they, they've all been really passionate about the work and they like each other and they've worked really hard and are and still working really hard. And I just think there's just a lot of problems to solve. And we just kind of started chipping away at those and doing the hard work. I'd say another thing that that's sort of distinct about our approach is that we really had a very big product focus so you know right now there's i think 55 people in the company and only four people don't write code everyone's really hands-on i mean it's a very very hands-on environment we have a pretty flat culture and i think we just know there's a lot to do and we're just we're just doing it so i don't know i mean none of this is like you know particularly novel but i i do think we've been working hard and we're sort of harvesting the fruits of our labor. Makes a lot of sense. Now let's talk about market categories. So
0: I had introduced you as a workforce intelligence platform. Is that the right category or how do you think about your market category?
1: Yeah. So I don't know if there's others using the term workforce intelligence. I think that's something that that we we sometimes say to make ourselves sound a little more distinct. There is a category called labor market intelligence. And that I think probably is the category that we're in. Mm -hmm. There are companies there like Lightcast and Talent Neuron and Drop and maybe Eightfold, you know, and I think when I think about some of those companies, I think they are really labor market intelligence companies with an emphasis on the market. You know, I think they're doing a lot of like market level analysis. So doing analyses on cities or roles or skills or something, something that's kind of economy wide. And I think for us, we're trying to go much more granular. So rather than just know, you know, the trends for a role, we really want to know, you know, let's say the attrition rate of senior salespeople with skills in oncology at these, you know, four pharma companies, you know, something like really, really specific. And I think we want to get these granular analyses that that companies would be able to get from their own HR databases. So that's why I think we call it workforce intelligence rather than labor market intelligence, because I think calling it labor market really makes it sound more macro. And I think we, we want to get a little deeper. And it just sounds cooler, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I think
0: so too. Labor market intelligence just sounds like very boring. Workforce intelligence, I'd want to learn more. So I like the, uh, I like the framing there. Cool. Now, if you look at the labor market intelligence field, is there like one giant in this space or is it super fragmented? Like, like, is there a sales force here or, you know, the
1: equivalent of a sales force or what's that look like? Hmm. So I'd say there were two like really medium sized companies that just merged about a year ago. So one was called MC and the other was called Burning Glass and they both got bought by KKR and just, um, they merged and now they're called Lightcast. Mm-hmm. And they, I think are the biggest in the space but they're not they're not enormous i mean they're not the size of salesforce so i'd say it's still a pretty new space i think there's kind of widespread recognition that we're kind of early days in this market and i think you know any and all of the companies could be as big as you know salesforce or or something like that someday but right now you know hr is really just starting to use data and there's still a lot of decisions to get made some companies are really in the early innings of, of this journey and so i think these companies are smaller than they will inevitably be and i certainly think we are smaller than we will inevitably be and so you know we've <laughs> we've got like big ambitions as well but i yeah I, I don't think there's really any any like big behemoth in the market got it makes
0: sense and Let's talk about challenges. So I'm sure along the journey so far that you've experienced a couple of challenges along the way, if we had to pick one go-to-market
1: challenge that you faced and overcame, what would that be? There's tons of them. I would say, I'd say like breaking into the corporate market. So going from selling to investment management and consulting firms and academic researchers to selling to companies, corporations, it's been hard just because it is a fragmented market. And you don't really know who the buyers are necessarily. Like- in contrast, when I think about investment management, like there are industry conferences where there are data buyers and data sellers. And these conference organizers facilitate introductions and meetings, and it's very clear who you're selling to. But in a company, you know, the user is not always the buyer and maybe the decision maker is, you know, two levels above. So I think just kind of navigating that that sort of big, messy corporate structure is always a challenge and it creates like longer sales cycles. I also think, you know, it's a new type of data set. You know, it's not like we can say, "Oh, you have a line item on your budget for this and we can do this." It's really not like that. They don't necessarily know that they need something like our offering. So I think a lot of our job is is educating people on what's possible, ways to save money, you know, ways this could help, you know, provide value and like level up your, you know, understanding of your own company and like be able to differentiate against competitors. So I think we're trying to, you know, make that case and do a lot of education. So yeah, all of these are challenges that we have to just start tackling. Yeah, I can imagine on the investment management side, the benefits that you were
0: talking about there, it was all about being able to make smarter investment decisions, I would guess. Mm -hmm. But on the corporate side, what are you doing to articulate and describe the ROI and the value there on the corporate side?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think in a very broad sense, I think, like, let's use like the analogy of, you know, if you're going to a doctor, like, if you're going to a doctor they have to diagnose the issue and then treat the issue but you know within investors they just have to diagnose things you know they just have to like understand where the problems are and then just like see you later you know they make a trade and they and they're speculating they're speculating but within a company they're much more similar to the doctor so they have to really you know get the diagnosis which is you know basically the same thing that a hedge fund would do but then they have to actually act on it and i think i think these companies really have a better handle on the treatments than the diagnoses. So I think coming into a company, you know, we can say like, we can help you better understand where things are going well and where things are not going well. And then, you know, drill in, you know, a few levels deeper until you you really get a sense for like, what's really going on. So I think that's that's part of the value proposition. I think also these end users, like they are very often familiar with their sets of problems. You know, sometimes they'll just come to us and they'll say, oh, here are like, you know, five challenges I have in my role, and we'll say, okay, you know, we can basically like solve one, two, three, and four. And like, that's it, like out of the box, you know, snap of the fingers and like, you don't have to go down this like six month project to kind of get a handle on these issues. So I think very often they'll come to us with the problems that they want to solve and ask, can you solve this? And very often the answer is yes. So sometimes we can be, we had, you know, the luxury of being kind of agnostic to the problems in a way. But they often follow the same patterns. You know, they want to find pools of talent. They want to understand, like, how they're differentiated. They want to see, you know, the companies that are doing well in their space. How can they emulate their, you know, talent strategy and understand, like, where they're sourcing people from, how they're retaining people, get a handle on, like, what are the drivers of attrition and attraction? So all these sort of questions come up kind of again and again.
0: Yeah, you can imagine that. Now, last couple of questions here before we wrap what motivates you day to day i know you're what five years into this journey so what excites you most and and what motivates you to keep working so hard
1: wow five years that didn't really hit me until you said it that's uh (laughs) but yeah i mean what motivates me i mean i love what we're trying to do you know i think there are some like entrepreneurs who are really drawn to you know starting things and and startup life and i think for me it's less about that more about you know this is the problem like this is the mark i want to make on the world i want to like you know Make labor markets more efficient, you know? So I I really think this is like a problem that affects every other problem. So I think the mission is kind of, you know, still very salient. And then I think I think as I've sort of gone through this, I I feel myself just feeling more accountable to the team. You know, I think people in the company are really putting their heart and soul into this and they're doing so well and really, I mean, thriving. And they have great ideas for how to change things. And I just feel like I want to work hard because I don't want to let down the team. And everyone everyone is, is also working hard. It feels like we're the 1996 Bulls, you know? <laughs> <We're>, uh, <laughs> we feel like we're at the top of our game and we, and we, and we want to keep pushing ourselves because we're, we're doing things that are kind of impressing ourselves and impressing each other. And it's kind of invigorating.
0: Nice. I love that. All right,
1: last question now. Let's zoom out.
0: Three years from today. What's the company look like? What's that high level vision that you're working towards?
1: Hmm. I would say let me zoom out even further. Let me say even like ten years in ten years, I really would like to see a Revelia Labs terminal on the computer of every person who works in H R. just like a Bloomberg terminal is, you know, used by everyone in finance. Like, you know, I think that's the future that we want to build to. I'm not so optimistic we can get there in three years just because, like, There's a lot of change, you know, a lot of behavior that needs to change, and um, you know, they sometimes say science progresses one funeral at a time. So, you know, that's uh, a little bit of a dark perspective. But I, but I do think you know we got to get some early adopters into a lot of these organizations. So, I think that's a long, long long-term vision. I think in the intermediate term, like in three years, I think you know we really want to be very dashboard-driven. We want to be self-service. We'd like to have basically infinite flexibility on our dashboard and still kind of maintain a like easy to use curated experience, which sounds somewhat contradictory, but we want to strike that balance. I think we'd like to do a lot more in the pay benchmarking space. I think we also, oh yeah, I mean, here's a big one. I think we also want to start embedding first-party HR data. So, you know, right now everything we're providing is in the public domain. So we're providing insights about a company, you know based on what we can see externally and approximate what they're seeing internally. but they have some data that we don't have that we'll never have you know like for example, we'll never see performance reviews. you know, companies have that and sometimes it's very useful and we just won't ever have that. and we probably won't see reporting structure in a way that you know companies have that internally. but we have a lot of data that companies themselves don't have We have a better sense of the skills that people have and where they go when they leave and where they come from and you know the activities people do and, and so much of that. So I think we we'd like to come into a company and say, you know, we can incorporate your own data and the external data and give you the best of both worlds and still be able to enable benchmarking across companies. And that's a, that's a big to-do because taking in, you know, actually like first party HR data. There's a lot to do with privacy. There's a lot of integrations to do. Every company is like a little different. So we need to you know build abstractions and integrations. So there's a lot of work to do, but I think we'd like to have that within three years.
0: Amazing, I love it. Ben, I'd love to keep you on and keep asking you questions here, but unfortunately we are up on time, so we'll have to wrap. Before we do, if people want to follow along with your journey as you continue to build, where should they go?
1: LinkedIn, LinkedIn is uh, my platform. You can follow me there, You know, always happy to connect and you know that's where we publish our newsletters so yeah yeah definitely uh, feel free to do that and thanks again for having me yeah no problem thanks for coming on
0: sharing your story and talking about everything that you're building this is super exciting and look forward to having you back on in 3 years or 10 years to talk about everything that's happened yeah yeah hold me to those targets you know sounds <laughs> <Sam's> good <laughs> cheers ben keep Yeah in touch. You can hear. see ya